and welcome to our organisation's podcast, Informed. In this podcast, we'll be chatting about all things allied health and how you can navigate the tricky world of the NDIS. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the eight disability health-related categories that were announced in the October 2019 price review. So if you haven't heard, the eight categories are dysphagia, pressure and wound care, respiratory supports, diabetes, continence, nutrition, epilepsy, and finally podiatry. So previously, if a participant fell under any of these categories, so for example, they had diabetes and they were also on the NDIS, they would have been linked in with both an NDIS clinician for their disability needs and a health clinician for their medical related needs. But under the new changes, Participants that fall under any of those eight categories will now just be seen by an NDIS clinician. So that's really important for us to know because health is going to be withdrawing a lot of services. And therefore, when we're writing our plan review reports, we're going to have to be really mindful of this and make sure that we're actually accounting for these categories in their plans. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the eight categories. And the first one I'm going to start with is dysphagia. So people with dysphagia may find it difficult to chew, they may eat too quickly, they might cough, they might splutter, or they might choke during their meals. They probably have regular chest infections and experience malnutrition. So it's really important that we actually know what this means and that we know how to screen for swallowing difficulties. And that's just by asking those questions. You know, do you choke? Do you have difficulty swallowing? Do you constantly have chest infections? Now, if you don't actually treat this condition, they can be at risk of what's called aspiration pneumonia, which in some extreme circumstances can lead to death. So it is really important that we're keeping abreast of this. So if you have a participant who's experienced a neurodegenerative condition, they have a genetic condition, they have developmental delay, um, it is really likely that their swallowing is going to be affected. So under the NDIS now, it's set in stone that we can cover this area, which is absolutely fantastic news for our species. So if you're an OT, physio, EP, or even potentially a PBS clinician, just be mindful that a swallowing assessment can take up to five hours of funding and they have to be reviewed every six to 12 months. So under the NDIS in this category as well, they're actually going to be funding consumables such as thickness, which is also a fantastic thing to hear. So the second category is pressure and wound care. Now, this is a crazy area, but, and it is something that is red alert in the hospital and the aged care system. And this is the reason why. So if someone's at high risk of developing a pressure wound, they can actually develop a stage one sore if all of the conditions are right, if they do not have the correct equipment or positioning regime in place within 30 minutes. That is right, within 30 minutes. Within a couple of hours, that can progress to stage two. Within a day, that could be a stage three. And within a couple of days, that could be a stage four, which is a medical emergency. So what does a pressure wound look like? And also a pressure wound can be referred to as a bed sore. It can be a pressure injury. It's got so many different names. So it could be redness of the skin and that's a stage one. And what happens is you push down on the red skin and it still remains red. 
that means that they have a pressure one or a stage one pressure sore. If their skin is broken and it's red all around, this is going to be a stage two. And the areas that you have to be really careful of are any areas of the body where the bone is near the surface of the skin and where they're putting their weight through that area. So for example, if a person's lying down, you can imagine that the areas that have the most pressure through the body are the heels, so the back of the back of the feet, the heels. So it's also going to be this sacrum. It's going to be the ITs at the bottom of the pelvis. It's going to be the spine, as you can imagine, the backs of the shoulders, so the shoulder blades. And you can also, also, well, it depends if they have kyphosis, they're leaning forwards. It'll be that spine, the back of the spine, just at the base of their neck. And then also the back of their head. If they're lying on their side, it's going to be the hip joints that are most at risk. You can kind of see the side of the knees. It'll be the ankles. It's going to be the side of their shoulder. It's going to be the ears as well and the side of their face. And if they're in a wheelchair, it can be anywhere. So it can be the backs of their legs. It can also be their sacrum and their ITs. It could be pressure through their spine if they don't have the correct backrest or head if they don't have the correct headrest. And as you can imagine, the other area that you have to be really mindful of is the side of their legs because they could be putting a lot of pressure through the metal settings of the wheelchair. So just be really mindful of that and just double check. So as the wound gets worse, it'll look like an open wound. So this is a stage three um, or, and it can burrow all the way down to the bone. So that's a stage four. If you see a black spot, this is also a really bad sign because it means that the skin is dead underneath, but it's not open. So it can actually mean that the wound is right down to their bone. So who's at risk of this? People with incontinence issues, people that spend a long time sitting or lying in the same position, people that have reduced feeling, so particularly in their legs, the back of their back or their bottom, people that are overweight or underweight, and people that have poor circulation, because as you can imagine with poor circulation, the blood isn't clearing. So this is people with diabetes and the, and the blood isn't getting down to, um, to really what's the word, to give the nutrients to that skin, to that affected area. So it can be people with diabetes, people with spinal cord injuries, or people with progressive neurological conditions. So as I said, it can be a medical emergency if left untreated. And in fact, a lot of people actually die from pressure wounds in the community. So those of you that watched the original Spider-Man, which I don't, Superman, I should say, which I don't know is everyone, the person that played Superman actually died from a pressure wound. So that's how serious they are. So the NDIS has actually moved towards an early intervention program for pressure care. And that means that us as OTs and physios need to be really on top of identifying who's at risk of developing a pressure wound by using the Woodlow scale or the Braddon scale. But I would always use the Woodlow scale. So once identified, you as therapists need to provide education to the participant, their family or the support work in relation to positioning. And basically, the best thing to think of is you want to avoid any pressure in that area. So if it's on the heels, try and avoid pressure on the heels by getting a bed cradle or getting pillows to be underneath their shin to prop it up or also by getting them to lie on their side. 
You're also going to look at organizing equipment. So some of the equipment that I discussed just then, like heel guards, it could be bed cradles, and that's just to prevent the uh, the top of the blanket from pushing down on the top of their foot. It could be a pressure cushion and it could be a pressure mattress. So pressure reviews should actually occur every six to 12 months for people that are at risk. And some of the equipment, although it can be funded through consumables, so that's bed cradles and heel guards, other equipment needs to go through an AT form and a reporting process because they are higher risk equipment. So even though the NDIS is going towards that early intervention prevention model, there's still going to be uh, funding there for care supports, usually for a nurse, uh, where the person does have an open wound or an open pressure or active pressure wound. The other thing that you may have noticed is that the NDIS is talking a lot about lymphedema. So even though it's listed, I'd be really careful of this because lymphedema is really associated with cancer and this isn't covered by the NDIS. So just be mindful of that when people do ask about this support. The third category is respiratory supports. So if someone has respiratory issues, it means they have difficulty with breathing and that breathing is really affecting their daily life or their sleep routine. So if you come across someone with respiratory difficulties, they may actually talk about how they have trouble with coughing as well. And without proper management, it's really, it's really important to get on top of this because it can have serious ramifications for that person's life. And in some cases, it can actually lead to chronic health conditions, which can really impact the person's lifespan. And it is something that is overlooked. So red flags for this condition are any progressive conditions such as MS, spinal muscular atrophy, muscular dystrophy, and MND. And because respiratory management now officially falls under the scope of NDIS, this is brilliant news for us. As David Shearer, our national clinical lead of physiotherapy, has set up an exclusive relationship with Philips, and they're the largest supplier of CPAP, BiPAP, cough assist, and portable suction machines in Asia Pacific. So basically, they're going to be providing us with a whole heap of training on how to set up and implement these machines, and that training's occurring next week or at the end of this week and into early February. So with the withdrawal of health, we are going to be one of the only providers in Australia that can safely recommend and set up this equipment. And that's really important to know and shout really from the rooftops. So on top of CPAP, BiPAP and cough assist machines, the NDIS has also said that they're going to be covering ventilation supports. And this cannot be prescribed by us and nor should it. This needs to go through a community nurse. Okay, let's talk about the fourth support. The fourth support is diabetes. Now with diabetes, did you know that one in 20, 20 people actually have a diagnosis of diabetes in Australia? And if left unmanaged, it can have serious medical implications. So before the NDIS changes came out, diabetes was 100% covered by health. However, now under the NDIS, if someone has diabetes and they have trouble managing their diabetes, say for example, because they have fine motor difficulties, the NDIS will now cover this. But this does not mean that a person with a primary diagnosis of diabetes can apply for the NDIS. So it doesn't actually change the access criteria. So under the new 
indication or application of the NDIS, diabetes will be covered by an EP, a physiotherapist for their exercise program, a community nurse for insulin management, and a support worker to monitor glucose levels. Now, what I am going to tell you is that the NDIS wants to move towards a model where support workers will provide insulin injections. However, please be mindful of this, as this is a really dangerous recommendation, and most agencies actually have rules against support workers providing subcutaneous injections. So if they do ask, steer clear and really push them back to talking to a community nurse who can give more of an assessment as to whether or not that's appropriate. So the fifth support is nutrition. Since the rollout of the scheme, this has really been a grey area of the NDIS. However, it is now confirmed that the NDIS will cover nutrition supports. So they've also confirmed that they're going to uh, cover PEG provision, maintenance and care. And also, they're going to be covering formulas and nutritional supports. However, get this, if it is considered to be more expensive than regular groceries or food. So keep that in mind when you're making those recommendations in your plan review. So the sixth support is continence. And under the new guidelines, catheter management and maintenance will fall under the NDIS. But as with diabetes, the NDIS is really trying to move towards a support model where the support workers will be trained by continence clinicians to change and remove catheters. As above, be careful. This is very dangerous and be really recommending that they talk to a continence nurse about this. Do not make a recommendation that a support worker can provide these supports. The NDIS has also said that continence consumables such as catheters, bags, bottles and straps will also fall under the participants' consumable budget, which is great news. The seventh support is podiatry. So podiatry, I really was confused about this, by the way, as well, is now covered under NDIS. However, I did feel that this was covered before. But now under the NDIS, they're saying that specialised shoes and footwear, orthoses and AFOs will officially be covered. So this hopefully is going to clear up some of those questions that we've had in the past about this. And the last support is epilepsy. So epilepsy management plans need to be prescribed by a neurologist and carried out by an epilepsy management nurse. The NDIS has confirmed they're going to fund seizure equipment. However, an AT form still needs to be completed. What we have to be mindful of is we're going to get more and more requests to prescribe seizure alert systems. So what is a seizure alert system? This system is for people that have seizures, such as tonic clinic or grand mal's throughout the night. So they generally need to be checked every 20 20 minutes overnight for seizure activity. And this is generally by a support worker or their family member. So a seizure alert system is something that's put on the bed and it actually goes off and alerts the parents or carers if the person has a seizure throughout the night, which is absolutely brilliant because it really does improve their sleep hygiene and it takes that stress off the parent to A, wake up every 20 minutes and B, to make sure they're not sleeping through a seizure. So this is a fantastic device and I highly recommend that people look into it and we encourage it if a person does have these really severe seizures and doesn't have one in place. So 
That's the eight disability health support categories. I hope that's been helpful. And if you do have any questions, feel free to reach out to your team leaders, your managers or myself for more information. And thank you for listening to this week's show.